0: This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's senior writer Matt Larkin here. Welcome to the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast. As you can see, looking at me here, I'm not in the studio. I'm not even in Toronto. I am in Ottawa in a hotel room. This is my hometown, by the way, born here. Uh, What am I doing in Ottawa? You'll have to find out. It's an exciting reason, but I'm not going to tell you just yet. But while I'm about to wait for an assignment to take place, I have time to talk a little fantasy. I got a bunch of questions from you, before we get to those questions, we're going to start with my recommendations for pickups. Shallow leagues, medium leagues, and deep leagues. Shallow league pickup, this is a pretty obvious one, but again, maybe not, because this person is available in 66% of leagues, all of your Bjorkstrand. I did talk about him a bit on our main podcast this week. Nine goals in a six-game stretch, absolutely on fire. And as I said on our main podcast, if you look into the nuts and bolts, the under-the-hood under numbers, the shooting percentage is sustainable. The shot rate is the best of his career. So it doesn't look like a fluky hot streak. It's not one of those, as I said in the main podcast, it's not like a William Carlson where there's a regression coming you know, the next year. I feel like this is a real breakout happening for Oliver Bjorkstrand. So I'm not saying he's going to score more than a goal per game the rest of the year, but he might score at the rate of a 35-40 goal score the rest of the season, and that's useful on any roster, including a shallow league roster. So I say pick up Oliver Bjorkstrand. He's available in many leagues, but I think he's actually useful in pretty much any size league right now, including shallow. Medium league pickup. Uh, Zach Hyman. So he's actually available in 80% of leagues right now, which suggests that he should be a deep league add, but I think he's actually potentially useful in medium leagues too, because if you look at his, I have some numbers here, his past 15 games, Eight goals, 16 points. If your league counts plus minus, he's plus 11. He's been an even-strength monster, and why is that happening? We know the reason, of course. If you're watching the Leafs, which, you know, obviously they're on a lot, or we're at the games a lot in Toronto, he's playing with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. So we know, especially under Sheldon Keefe, he tends to play stars more, which means that Hyman's even, you know, he's on second power play unit. He's not getting a lot of time. But if you're okay with that, he's still a pretty good depth add. Uh, because he's just such a beast at even strength and you might get the odd power play look on the second unit from him but either way it's still very useful especially leagues that count plus minus so that's someone I think in most leagues you could use him as a, you know even your last forward and and Hyman plays you know he plays with a little bit of sandpaper he's going to get you some hits too. Uh, deep league ad. so this one is pretty interesting. <laughs> Mark Borwicki, x I can never pronounce his name correctly. It's one of those names you never say out loud very often unless you're in Ottawa. He's available in 62% of leagues. He's not the guy that you associate with being picked up in many hockey pools, but he's having he's having an absolute career year. Career highs in ice time, career highs in shots and tracking for career high in hits right up there. If he's not leading the league in hits, he's right near the top. He's already I believe set a career high in blocks and he's someone who again, he might, you know, he's he's been very valued with Ottawa Senators. You don't associate him with being a, a major fantasy sports commodity, but if you're in a volume league and a lot of Hockey pools have changed their stat categories, and you're counting your hits and your blocks, and stuff like that. He, at this point, has become someone I think is rosterable. Uh, I even had him and traded him for a pick in my keeper league. He had trade value in a keeper league. That's, That's how much his value has changed. And I think it's more the product of the changing formats of pools, where a few years ago, leagues wouldn't have counted all those categories, but now they do. So this is someone who I think you can actually pick up to fill out your roster if you're just trying to address and sort of monopolize certain categories, namely hits, of course. Let's get to some questions. Uh, We've got a lot of good ones this week. I'm proud of everybody for asking really good questions. Borderline stumpers. First one is from a regular that I always struggle to pronounce his name, it's Vith Vijay. And I feel like most of the time I get it right, but once in a while I get it wrong. I'm sure he'll let me know if I did it right. And the question is, at this point in the season, would you consider dropping Sergei Bobrovsky and adding Elvis Merzlikens? And there's a, there's a follow-up question from S- at 76 Swanson that kind of pertains to this, so I'm going to kind of address them together. The other question is, what will happen when Corpusello gets healthy again in Columbus? Well, it, it's a difficult question because obviously Merzlikens, something special seems to be happening there, and if he stays hot... Columbus is going to ride him. He's gotten them back into the playoff race. But Corpusello was playing quite well. Also, I mean, he was good enough to get to be the all-star representative for his team. Uh, and so I still see it as a situation where John Tortorella is going to ride the hot hand. Uh, so if Mbrzlikens happens to cool off right around the time Corpusello is ready to come back, then if you were to trade, for example... Merzlikens for Borofsky, you know, Borofsky, the money talks, $10 million, they're not going to give up on him partway through the season and take away his starting job, no matter what. So, whereas if Merzlikens, that could happen. Merzlikens could turn back into a pumpkin, and a month from now, Corpus has a job back, or whatever, depending on Corpus exact timeline. Uh, whereas Bobrovsky, in his last four starts, he's won all four, 922 save percentage. And for some guys, that's just a mini blip might not mean anything, but for a guy like Sergey Bobrovsky, who's been terrible all season, let's face it, when he has a mini run like that, it's significant because maybe it's a sign that he's waking up. So because of that, if you're thinking of making that swap, Bobrovsky for Merzlikens it can't be a one for one it can it's different if it's someone offering you a trade where you get Merzlikens and you know another decent player for Bobrovsky but a straight up drop there's too much risk you could it could actually cost you your season you drop Bobrovsky and he gets hot and returns to being himself in the second half and then Merzlikens goes cold loses the job back to Corpusello, and then you're, you've really hurt your team so I, I'd say don't do it uh next question is from Aiden Duggan or Duggan with Artemi Panarin leading the league in secondary assists, I'd assume his production should probably dip. Should I sell high on him? Well, that's a tough one. Yes, when the guy is loading up on secondary assists, there's sometimes a luck element there. But it's not like Artemi Panarin is not getting primary assists. In that same category, five on five per 60 minutes, he's 13th in the league in primary assists. So he's been fantastic any way you slice it. Uh, I still think there's uh, Risk could be too strong a word, but there's potential for a slight regression. And when I say regression, I mean maybe back to being only an 85-point caliber player, so maybe he's he's only a point per game the rest of the season. Um, maybe there's a slight regression in the assists, sure, but it's also because uh, the, the player that he spent the most time with this season, clicked the most with, Ryan Strom, restricted free agent, uh, this coming summer, and while it's possible the Rangers are going to trade Chris Kreider, sometimes you've, you're, you're seeing Ryan Strom's name pop up in trade talks as well, so you never know if they decide to keep Kreider. They also have to re-sign Tony D'Angelo, so maybe Strom ends up getting traded. It's still possible. Uh, so And if you look at Kreider as well, even from a power play pr- perspective, the Rangers are still likely to be sellers, even though they've been better than expected overall this season. I think they're going to be sellers. Uh, and it's possible that Panarin just has weaker company, by this time uh, at the end of February, right? So that would be a reason to, I guess you could consider selling high, but I'm saying only if it's for an elite player, if somebody's offering you a, you know, a David Pasternak or someone who's in the same tier, but maybe even slightly better, someone overpaying, maybe a Rangers fan, whatever it is, but I I wouldn't trip over myself to sell Panera, and he's gonna be good no matter what. This This question is from Eldon King which players on the trade board will see the biggest boost in fantasy value to finish the season it's one of my favorite things to do in pools is sort of speculate on guys that you think are going to get moved if they're you know pending unrestricted free agents on bad teams and they can suddenly if you if you kind of get them early sometimes they've been dropped you can scoop them up and and then they go on a big run i remember doing it uh, i did it with chris kunitz when he got the year he got traded to the penguins and he was like a point per game player i think down the stretch that year uh so there, there are a few names that I have my eye on. Um, the, the one big one is Tyler Toffoli because Toffoli, we know he is a natural goal scorer, but even when he was at his best, he was playing on some teams that were very defensively uh, just kind of locked down teams. The offense was not their game. Uh, and... We didn't necessarily ever see him get a chance to truly spread his wings. Even when he was playing on that 70s line, that was when he was at his best. Uh, now, of course, he's playing on some bad teams that have really been stripped down. They're currently rebuilding. So Toffoli's a guy that if you suddenly have him land on a contender, whether it's Boston or Pittsburgh, who knows what, who could be Edmonton, and you drop him into a, a situation where he's playing with elite players in a much more offensive system, you might see a version of him that we've never gotten to experience before. Uh so that's a name that I really have my eye on. The other name is of course Jason Zucker. It seems like he's popping up in trade rumors nonstop every day. Uh and Zucker is someone that we know. It's 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 been out there for at least a month, probably more, well actually more because it was even rumored in the summer uh that it was close to happening. It's the Pittsburgh Penguins are pursuing Jason Zucker aggressively. Kind of everyone knows that now and They're the favorite to get him, and if they get him, odds are he's going to be playing with Sidney Crosby or he's going to be playing with Evgeny Malkin. I think Crosby may be more likely because Zucker, he plays that kind of conscientious two-way game. He could slot in, he can play either wing. So he has some similarities in that sense to Jake Gensel. I think Gensel is a better, you know, overall more talented goal scorer. But Zucker has the same ability to move around the lineup, and I think he's a good two-way player. So that's someone who could suddenly have a drastic change in value if he gets traded. Uh, Robin Lehner is a guy that you have to keep very close eye on. It's possible that the Blackhawks don't trade him at all. And I've said this before on our main podcast. uh, They probably do want to keep him. They don't have the same flexibility in terms of their ability to trade Corey Crawford because of his clauses on his contract. Uh, but it's still possible that you are you you know, you get to the trade deadline, you're Stan Bowman, you don't know for sure if you're going to sign Robin Lehner, you haven't worked out a deal yet, and you're receiving good offers. Let's say a team, maybe a team has a major goalie injury, or it's a team like, let's say the Carolina Hurricanes, who have been linked to Lehner already, where they just don't quite have the, the definite solution in net yet. And if Lehner gets traded to a contending team where he's not sharing starts with a Corey Crawford, he's already proven to be an excellent fantasy goalie. He can elevate to the elite tier and be sort of a, a league-winning guy down the stretch. So most leagues, he's, he's rostered, but he's someone who, if you have him, he's the guy you want to hold on to, I think, through the trade deadline. Keep him on your bench at the very least and see what happens. He could get a significant spike in value. Another guy I'm looking at is Kyle Palmieri. Uh, Palmieri, he's already a pretty valuable fantasy forward. He's a good shooter, natural goal scorer, good on the power play. So it's not like he's without value, but I think, you know, Taylor Hall's gone and he's... The Devils, in, in general, have not been as potent of a team. Uh, and he's been banged up, of course, too. But he's someone, he's got a year left on his deal. And Ray Shiro, before he got fired, was not intending to trade Murray from everything that, that we know. Uh, but now it's a blank slate for Tom Fitzgerald. Um, he doesn't necessarily have all the same exact opinions as Shiro on his players. So maybe teams will come knocking. To inquire about Palmieri, uh, he's sort of a luxury rental with that one extra year left on his deal, and he's someone, again, and even maybe even more so than Tofoli and Zucker, because Palmieri's proven to be a higher-tier player so far in his career. If you put him in the right situation, he could be gangbusters. I mean, he could be a guy who scores at a 45-goal 40, pace down the stretch if he's in the right situation with the right team and he's healthy, so... He would be one of the more coveted options available on the market if New Jersey decides to put him on the block. So he's someone to watch very carefully. And he's a good buy low right now because the injury problems and the overall the numbers are just a little bit down compared to what they've been. Uh, next question is from Paul Zulak. And Paul asks, with the injury to Linus Allmark, who do you recommend picking up off the wire? Best options in my league look to be Carter Hutton or Aaron Dell. Well, Paul, that league sounds pretty tough if that's, that's the the best tandem of available goalies out there. So I feel for you. I'm going to guess that you're not in first place, Paul. Uh, but good on you for still fighting the good fight. And I've been looking at my options. Uh, Carter Hutton, obviously he has an opportunity right now with Linus Allmark going down. Uh, but the timeline for Elmark is three to four weeks. So... Even if Hutton goes on a run, uh, unless it's you know unless he carries the Sabers on their on his back and gets them back in the playoff race and it's this crazy Cinderella story, when Allmark is ready, he's going to come back to sharing starts with Hutton. So I don't think the ceiling is very high with Hutton, even though he might be reasonably valuable over the next month. Whereas Dell, I think it's maybe it's riskier, but there is a better chance for gain. Although. With Thomas Hertel's injury now, wins might be a little hard to come by for the Sharks going forward. At the same time, I I think that Dell, you know, it's not like Dell is a kid. He's not, you know, he's not 21 years old or anything like that, but he's still had less of an opportunity to show what he can do than Hutton has. And when I see something like that, I I feel like it means that Dell is an unproven commodity, which means that he's never gotten an extended look as a starter of this caliber and I think that means that there's more ceiling to work with we don't exactly know what he's capable of if given more runway and it does seem like he's starting to snatch the net away from Martin Jones and I think in that case if Aaron Dell continues to outplay Martin Jones Aaron Dell might just have the job whereas Carter Hutton doesn't doesn't necessarily win the job in Buffalo no matter how well he plays because Olmark isn't going away so based on that I would go with Aaron Dell but good luck to you Paul because it does sound like things are tough for you in that league Next question is from Colton Newdorf. What a name! He sounds like, he sounds like a, a defenseman that's playing college hockey in Minnesota or something. I'm going like WHL prospect. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Stephen says WHL prospect. Absolutely. Hot pick in the Bantam draft. Shout out to Ryan Kennedy. Uh, and Colton says, "Is it worth it to drop Timo Meyer in shallow leagues? Is it realistic to try and trade him or keep him?" Well, again, with Hurdle out, you know, all the talent around. Meyer is is weakening because of course you know look a couture is and joe felsky and i know uh, you know couture is the center as well but i'm just talking about the effect on the entire lineup and the power play and just the overall personnel um i, I would still consider holding timo Meyer unless you see a replacement that's that's very appealing like if you're if you're just considering dropping him and kind of aimlessly looking and not knowing who you're going to pick up that's one story if there's a guy let's say all of your strand is out there right now and you're like oh maybe should i drop meyer that's an example of something that I would consider doing because even though I'm a big Meyer fan and in keeper leagues, I'd be absolutely holding on to him. What makes me nervous is uh, he's not showing signs of, oh, his shooting percentage is really down, it's been an unlucky season. His shooting percentage is actually career high, his ice time is career high, he's shooting the puck a lot less. And last year, his shot rate all of her all of his like five and five his per 60 numbers were so good i was predicting a monster breakout for him i thought he was going to score 40 goals this year so he's been a, a big disappointment in my opinion um but what makes me nervous just about this season I, I, it, not long term but this season i think he's shown signs that he's just regressed overall in his game it's not a luck situation so it's possible that this just goes down as a a, a step backward for him and maybe he's going to be a good buy low next year in drafts but um Overall, I don't think it's sacrilege to drop him, but just I would say make sure you're dropping him for a legitimately appealing pickup, not just aimlessly dropping him. A little sip of water break here. Next question is from David Hine. And David says it's somewhat of a fantasy question. Okay, somewhat, it'll it'll do. Zach Cashin signed a new deal at Edmonton. But do you see the Oilers acquiring someone either at the deadline or the summer that could force him out of the top six? That would drastically change his value, I believe. Well, from a fantasy perspective, I'm not too worried, especially this year, for a couple of reasons. One, the Oilers have really found something with Cash in terms of his role. He's basically been Tom Wilson, honestly. His numbers are pretty similar to Tom Wilson. He's doing a lot of the same things as Tom Wilson this year. Similar style of play, similar build. Uh, and he's sort of doing the equivalent of what Tom Wilson does when he plays on the big line with Ovechkin as well. And I don't think you want to mess with that. It's been a really nice fit, and McDavid's leading the league in scoring, so it's not like Cashin's dragging down McDavid. Cashin's having a career year. Uh, And I do think the Oilers are pursuing a forward, and at least the, the scuttlebutt that we've seen around the league and that I've read and heard is that they want a right shot forward. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's someone to play in the first line, because the first line's working out really well. What the Oilers might be pursuing is someone to augment the second line. I don't know if you want to mess with what ain't broke when it comes to Cashin. And the good thing is, in fantasy leagues, because Cashin's doing other good things, you know, he gets a lot of hits, and if your league counts penalty minutes, that kind of stuff, it's not like Cashin has to fill the net to be valuable, which again is very similar to Tom Wilson. You could get five, ten goals the rest of the year from Cashin, but he's also providing hits. He's still going to be valuable in your league. He's still going to be a guy you're going to want to roster in any league. Counts hits, so I'm not overly worried. Maybe in the summer, sure, they reevaluate things, but I just think they've found some good chemistry there, and I don't know if they're going to want to mess it up. This question is from Jeff Veda John Carlson has been solid all year, but now I think he's really starting to slow down. I already have Kale McCarr, Chris Latang, Aaron Eckblad, Eric Carlson on D. This sounds like a pretty shallow league, Jeff, but or, or your team is stacked. Bad idea to trade Carlson? I could use a ringer, but I enjoy the five-man D unit in case of injuries. Uh, I think you clearly have outstanding depth on defense, so I think it's worth considering selling high on John Carlson, Uh, especially if you can get an elite roster-altering piece. So, for example, uh, we know know Carlson's been the most valuable fantasy defenseman. Let's say you're really hurting in, in goal, and somebody offers you Andre Vasilevsky for John Carlson straight up. That's a trade I think you have to make. On the other hand, I think there's another sell high on your blue line there, Jeff, and I think it's Kale McCarr. Love Kale McCarr. I am absolutely a believer in Kale McCarr. I picked him to win the Calder Trophy. I knew he was going to be outstanding. At the same time, uh, he's, even, he's even exceeded high expectations. He's doing things that are historic for a rookie on defense. Uh, and the main thing that I think you have to watch out for in the second half, it's common in college rookies. I think you saw this with Dylan Larkin. You saw this with Brock Besser. Uh, The schedule in the NCAA is very different, and the games are sort of stacked close together. You get a lot of time to work out during the week, and you don't play nearly as many games. You play, I think it's like something in the 35-game range, depending on the school. And a lot of college players, you see them, they hit a wall in the second half of the season because their body is just the most hockey they've ever played. They're just not used to the grind, especially guys that don't play. I know, of course, that... uh, uh, Kyle McCarr played uh, Junior A right? And it was, was it BCHL or a, it was AJHL right Stephen? Yep. Kyle McCarr? AJHL yep. so he, it's not like he's completely foreign to the junior format but it's not the same as the grind of a major junior season so I think it's possible that he hits a little bit of a wall production wise just as, as his body adjusts and then next season he won't hit that wall so based on that I think Kyle McCarr might be the better sell high than John Carlson, something to consider Let's see what else we have here. We have one one more question or two more. Oh, no, we have a... We're down to our last question. So, this one is from Curtis Wilson. Which is the better goalie strategy? Three solid starters or two solid starters and a rental spot. Try to take advantage of injuries and hot streaks. That's a really good question. I like that question a lot, Curtis. Uh, and I think it's entirely dependent on the league you play in. So... If you're in a league, and so when I say depending on the league you play in, what I mean is dependent on your stat categories. Uh, if you're in a league that gives that has more, or gives more weight to volume stat categories, so I'm talking wins, saves, shutouts, shots faced. I think you're better off going with three solid starters because they're predictable, they're reliable, and you know you're going to get your volume from them, even if it's you know each guy's a 50 game starter. And I think that that's probably the path to success, especially because those locked in starters are becoming more and more rare as the seasons progress. Um, If you're in a pool that also includes rate stats, Maybe as many rates as, as volume. So I'm talking goals against average and save percentage. Then I think it's a pretty good strategy to have the two solid guys and ride the hot hand because it's kind of the equivalent of if you play fantasy baseball, having a bullpen and picking up those those relievers that have really good ratios, really good WHIP and you know strikeout to walk ratio, uh, the dominant you know guys that strike out 100 guys in, in 70 innings, uh, and so picking up the goalie who's on who's on the heater like the Elvis Merzlikins right now. Is sort of the equivalent to doing that it's a great complementary piece to your your volume starters because then the guy who's on the hot streak can bring down your rate stats so yeah I, I think both are pretty clever strategies just entirely dependent on the style of league you play in and that concludes it for these questions this week and uh, i'll be back in a couple more weeks uh, as we get closer to people's stretch runs in their fantasy league the fantasy playoffs are not too far off Hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. Hope you enjoyed this lovely hotel environment. It was pretty chilling for me. Hope it was for you too. And I will see you soon.